Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Saw Something Scary. Derek Zoo here with you alongside me as always is my brother from another, my tag team partner, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, rumble, young man, rumble, the Michael Jordan, my LeBron James, Jeff Wright. Jeff, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm doing okay, even though that makes me clearly the uh, much older <laughs> member of this team. I'll, I'll I'll take being associated with Michael Jordan anytime. Yeah, I was really hoping you weren't going to throw the age factor into mm-hmm. it and just assume that it was, you know, older, but not like like, much older. That's not what I meant by it. The baldness hides the age difference. LeBron's accentuates it. That's true. Good call. You saying I'm bald? Hmm? What's going on? Uh, got nothing to do with your hairline. Oh, okay, thank goodness. LeBron got the genetic Powerball ticket, except that hairline. That's God's way of making him humble. Have you ever seen the picture of LeBron James where his hairline looks like the Wu-Tang Clan symbol? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's great stuff. He went to the hair club for men. <laughs> Good on him. Hey, when you're worth $11 billion, I guess you can do whatever you want to, right? Who needs genetics at that point? <laughs> exactly. So, all right. This week, we got a real fun thing for you. We're uh, taking you guys on a trip to Hawkins, Indiana to go, to dissect Stranger Things 2. I'm pretty excited about it, man. Absolutely. Uh, I We'll get into it in a little bit. First and foremost, let's hit everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. And my man, I've got all sorts of trailers for you this week. Oh, yeah. Ranging all over the spectrum. Okay. So, first one we're going to talk about is a movie called Downsizing, uh, which is the synopsis of it is a social satire in which a guy realizes he would have a better life if he were to shrink himself. Stars Matt Damon, Christoph Waltz, Kristen Wiig, uh, let's see, Jason Sudeikis, that was the other guy I was looking at, and directed by Alexander Payne. I somehow managed to see this trailer. It must have been on the, I don't know, the beginning of some movie I saw in the theater. Did you watch it? Uh, have you seen Thor Fraggle Rock yet? Not yet. Okay, it was on Fraggle Rock, so. I've seen it on something recently. It looks okay. I mean, how are you going to argue with that cast, right? Uh, Sudeikis would probably be enough by himself, but you add in Damon. Uh, yeah, I'll probably go check that out. What about you? Yeah, um, that'll be, that'll, that'll probably be a red box for me, unless I can get uh, Movie Pass and Branson, but besides that, when am I going to have time to go watch you know, watch that movie? Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious about it. It looks interesting. The trailer looked really interesting, so, uh, and I saw one during Fraggle Rock that kind of gives it a different uh, twist, a little bit more to the story, so yeah. I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm game. Worst kind of trailers, man. Just give me the basics. Let me make my choice. Yeah, that's true, but it, it but this also. This is why Jeff hates trailers. Yeah, so there you go. It was, it was good though because I was on the fence about watching it and then I saw this trailer and I was like oh okay well I'll check that out okay it did its job so so sometimes trailers are good wicked little trailer <laughs> uh, speaking of Thor Fraggle Rock go watch it oh I will for sure yeah I meant to go watch it yesterday uh, a buddy of mine dropped into town he's like let's go watch a movie and we previously talked about going to watch um, Happy Death Day which we did mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it yeah. but I almost kind of tried to twist his arm to go see Thor yeah. I tried to catch it as soon as possible yeah if, uh, if I've got time between now and the move. We'll go watch that because it was... I'd, I'd watch it again for sure. Um, okay, next one is The Disaster Artist. It's a biography comedy movie. Uh, it's a behind-the-scenes look at the making of Tommy Wazoo's, I think? I uh, know you're talking the about... The Room. Yeah, one of the worst movies ever. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, of course, James Franco, Allison Brie, uh, let's see, Kristen Bell, Josh Hutcherson, Lizzie Kaplan, Zac Efron, Megan Mullally, Brian Cranston, Jake Mansuzakis, uh Adam Scott, Dave Franco, Kate Upton, uh, Dylan Manette, Sharon Stone, Seth Rogen, J.J. Abrams, Melanie Griffith. Holy smokes, I haven't heard of Melanie Griffith in 20 years. Like, since L.A. Confidential. What a world to be living in when James Franco and Seth Rogen can be like, every star in Hollywood. Dude, it goes on. Uh, Christoph Mintz Place, uh, McLovin is in it, Judd Apatow's in it, Zach Braff is in it, Bob Odenkirk is in it, Hannibal Burris is in it, 
uh, I think that's it. Paul Shear. Holy smokes, man. What a star-studded cast. That also, the- also Brett Gelman, who is in Stranger Things Season 2. That's the kind of movie that I think I will go watch just based on the cast alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm betting I'll end up watching it on Redbox with my wife, but I will end up seeing that movie if the Lord allows life to persist. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested in that movie as well. How can you not be? Right. Listen, everybody there. Yeah. And it's interesting subject matter. Um, I have seen a trailer for that too. Maybe it was on the beginning of Happy Death Day. Okay. Franco like comes out of a, a door onto a sound stage. Yeah. And forgets his line and keeps doing it. It's like the most infamous part of the room is that scene. Okay. I've yeah. never seen the room. I neither have I, but uh, I listened to I listened to a, a podcast. I think maybe Marin or maybe like a wrestling podcast with Allison Brie. That's what it was. It was Sam Roberts with Marin and Allison Brie talking about Glow and uh, they brought up this movie. Sam brought up this movie and they were talking about like yeah this is this was the most uh, popular like infamous part of that movie. Okay, well Franco looked the part in that scene. Yeah, I have read articles in the past about this movie because it's you know it's there with Plan Nine from Outer Space um, in the running for the worst ever. And so I don't know. Every now and then there's an anniversary or something. Entertainment Weekly will write a piece. Also, uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space is available in our archives. Absolutely. Um, Franco looked the part. I don't know what else. That, I, I don't know what that means. But he looked the part. Have I been clear that he looked the part? I have one question for you. Um, the part that James Franco was playing, did he look it? I haven't really thought about it. Okay, I'll that's some, fair. I need some time. That's fair. So, okay, so definitely we'll both go watch this eventually. For sure. Good deal. Next one I've got is, if it'll load. What a weird title. Yeah. <laughs> is a animated movie called Coco, which I'm assuming that you'll go watch due to your kids. Is this the Day of the Dead one? I believe so. Yes. Aspiring musician Miguel teams up with charming trickster Hector on an extraordinary journey through the land of the dead. Coco. For a guy who's supposed to hate trailers, I've seen a lot of trailers apparently. <laughs> I have seen this one. Okay. I don't know if I'll see that or not because my children really do orient towards horror movie stuff. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's in their genes, (laughs) but there's been something go terribly wrong because they have terrible nightmares at the the least frightening stuff ever. Okay. And so I have to be like, here's a little scary. Like right now we're basically Scooby-Doo is the ceiling. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe we will. I don't know. Should we combine both podcasts, both wrestling and scary movies and do Scooby-Doo meets the WWE? Maybe we should. Well, and you know, the WWE also just released the monster line where like the Undertaker is a bat yeah. monster or something. So we can buy a set of those. Sure. Because that's needful. Yes. And then for act, a podcast. And then act out a movie with them. This sounds like gold. Okay. I'm loving do it. Do you know how to do stop motion animation? Yes. Okay. I learned from Adam Scott. We're going to release our first film then. I love it. We'll call it Day of the WWE Dead. The creativity is radiating off of you right now. Right. Thank you. That's an amazing. That's what happens when you only have two hours of sleep in three days. That's one. Okay, so that's a maybe. That's a maybe on Coco. All right, Spider-Man, the PS4 video game. Have you seen the trailer for this? No, I haven't, but I have loved, like a fat kid loves candy, every Spider-Man game that has come out on the PlayStation platforms over time. I have uh, I have a Raspberry Pi that I legally emulate. Emu- I have a Raspberry Pi that I legally use to emulate games that I own copies of. Okay. And Spider-Man was one of the first that I signed up to emulate. Okay, that's, that's impressive. That game is so good. The mechanics are incredible. It, you know, you just get to swing around the city like Spider-Man. That would be enough for me. Then all the alternative costumes. I think I've talked on here before how I'm a sucker for a palette swap. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man has this incredible host of costumes. Love doing that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they basically rinse and repeat every new generation. And I'm there with my money. Take it. There you go. Uh, I did watch the trailer. It looks great. There's no plot really given on the video game yet. But take my money when it's here. Yeah, I could swing around New York City and beat up muggers and, like, collect alternative costumes. I could almost be happy doing that 
in an, like a open sandbox kind of environment. Sure, I believe that. So that'll come out. I, I doesn't have a, a date on when it'll come out. So not soon enough for real on that. So all right, uh, and then the last one that I want to talk to you about is a TV series that is debuting tonight on e, uh, on ESPN. That's wrong. Think about Ric Flair. Uh, How can you not? Yeah, uh, debuts tonight, uh, which we're recording this on Tuesday, November the seventh. So when you hear it, it'll be November the fourteenth. So this will already be out by a week. Anyway, premieres on USA. It's a crime western drama called Damnation, and the synopsis on that is Seth Davenport appears to be a small town Iowa preacher, but he harbors ambitions of starting a full blown excuse me a full blown insurrection against the status quo. But he is unaware that an industrialist tycoon has hired a deadly professional strike breaker named Creeley Turner to stop that insurrection by any means necessary. And unknown to those around them, these two men share a secret bloody past. Well, I love westerns. I'll probably check that out. Not crazy about the title. Not super interested in the plot synopsis there. But again, am sucker for westerns. Glad to watch it. It sounds like a mashup of Preacher and Westworld. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, you know, I still haven't seen Westworld. I have never seen an episode of Westworld either. I've read a bunch of stuff about it, but yeah. I've never seen one. We need to watch that. I've heard nothing but great things about it. Uh, it has a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb already, so that ought to, that may wet your whistle. Anybody know. notable in it? Let's find out. Nobody that I saw, but you may know people that I don't. Uh, Christopher Hyredal plays Don Berryman. That sounds like a cleaning product. Yeah. Killian Scott plays Seth Davenport. I know that name. Okay. Um, he is in nothing that I know. He, his claim to fame is a movie named called 71, also a movie called Calvary. Oh, man. Have you never seen Calvary? No, sir. I haven't. Oh, Derek, you have got to, you've got to remedy that, man. That's one of okay. the most beautiful films I've ever seen in terms of acting, in terms of cinematography, in terms of plot. Um, it's got to be the same one, but just go check. It's got Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. That movie has plenty of um, immoral elements in it, you know, but it is still one of the most Christian plots I've ever watched. Like when I see Facing the Giants or Fireproof, this is not what I'm talking about. I don't want to be critical of those movies, but this is a cinematic jewel. So and this I'm, is more along the lines of The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. <laughs> Let me pray about answering that. How dare you disparage the good name of Gavin Stone. I'm telling you, if you haven't seen Calvary, even if you're listening to this and you hate Christianity, I think it is such a beautiful movie. Cool, man. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll track that down. Let's see. Is it on anything that I could track that down on? Because obviously we don't pirate anything around here. So Amazon Video is what it's on for $2.99. It's well worth $2.99. Cool, man. Well, I will, I will rectify that situation as quickly as possible. Think about the way that that movie pictures the actual relationship of the Christian church to society. Okay. Uh, that It's such a good movie. Cool, man. Well, maybe maybe you and I can sit down and watch that together because you seem to have an appreciation for it. And I always like to watch movies with people who have appreciation for it. Yeah, I mean, full, I don't know, full disclosure, It's it takes its time with its pacing. And it's clearly character-driven. Uh, but, man, it, it's what I think of when I think about, like, movies about faith uh-huh. that aren't propaganda. Sure. Okay. I would say The Resurrection of Gavin Stone would be my, my pick on that. But I'm willing to, willing to take your word for it and see what's going on. All right. That is a very long, extended version of... Jeff hates trailers. So why don't we go right into this week's horror? You want to geek out? Yeah, Jordan Peele's doing stuff. <laughs> I know. 
I'm so excited. So you like the Twilight Zone too, right? I did, sir. Yeah. Well, here's the combination of two things you love. It's like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Can you tell I've got candy in my mind? Yeah. That's all right, though. Jordan Peele is rebooting the Twilight Zone for CBS. Yes. CBS Corp CEO Les Moonves announced Thursday that the network is planning a take on classic anthology series The Twilight Zone. The rebooted show will air on CBS's new streaming platform, All Access, which I don't watch The Good Wife. Do you watch that? I don't. Apparently it has a spinoff called The Good Fight that's on there. Oh, okay. And a lot of people I know are watching Star Trek Discovery. I never got into Star Trek Hardcore, so I hadn't tracked that down, but it gets really good reviews. Yeah, th- there's been a lot of uh, activity on my on my Facebook about it from people who are huge Trekkies. So, I'm a middle road Trekkie. Like, I really enjoyed the older series. That's kind of what I grew up on, like Kirk and Picard. Oh, yeah. And I've loved the movies, like the newer movies with um, Chris Pine. Yeah, of course. I, it's hard to find anything to criticize about those. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm not like, I don't know what, I know what Kirk's middle name is. I was about to be like, I don't know what Kirk's middle name is, but I do know that. But like, I don't know what Spock's left pinky finger is. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that hardcore about it's it. It's his left pinky finger. You don't know that. Could be his. I ended up uh, as a younger man watching Deep Space Nine for a while. Oh, okay. That's really the only time I've followed it consistently. But anyway, so good for CBS for picking good projects. This new Twilight Zone is going to be under the uh, control of Peel's Monkey Paw banner. Okay. But if you read the fine print, it's not clear yet exactly what Peel is going to be doing with the series yet. Sons of Anarchy and Daredevil alum Marco Ramirez is reportedly set to write and serve as showrunner for the reboot, according to The Ringer. What up, David Shoemaker? Um, do you think that he is, um, what was that guy's name? Rod Sterling. Do you think that Jordan Peele becomes the Rod Sterling of this, uh, this version of the Twilight Zone? Derek, that's brilliant. When I was reading this, I found this news, I think, on Reddit's horror subreddit, and one of the first comments was, how do you replace Rod Sterling? Jordan Peele would be perfect to do that. Holy cow. If that's not what happens, I'm going to have serious questions about Jordan Peele's uh, leadership there. That's not really true, but <laughs> it's such a good idea. It should be how reality plays out. I mean, that's just the first thing I thought of, right? Like, he's got the voice for it. He can wear a suit. He can do dramatic, funny, yeah. mod- you know, modulate between the two. Absolutely. And if all else fails, he's got a killer Obama impression. So he could just do President Obama as Rod Sterling. There's an alternate universe somewhere where that's happening, and I want video. <laughs> so, um, welcome to uh, the Twilight Zone. <laughs> if any of you guys know Rick and Morty, tell them to collect that and bring it to me. Well, that's great, man. Uh, so it's, it's only going to be on their streaming platform. It's not going to mm-hmm. be on actual CBS. How crazy is that, right? Like, that's that's the world we're living in. Five years from now, I think cable TV will be dead. I do, too. And I'm telling you, CBS is going to be the ones who come out of this. Now, they have not been particularly kind to cord cutters because they charge for their you know, platform in addition to all the other ones that Sling or YouTube TV or DirecTV now offer. But they have the best shows on traditional broadcast television. Now they're developing some of the best shows on their streaming platform. These guys have figured it out. And if if I'm in any other, you know, major network studio, I'm cherry picking their talent the first chance I get because they're writing a roadmap for transitioning from traditional programming to streaming. Yeah, man. I mean, you, you said it all right there. I don't really have anything else to, to add to that except kudos to CBS. Great job picking this project up. Can't wait to see what Jordan Peele has to do with the Twilight Zone. And yes, Jordan Peele, please. I know you're listening. I know you are. So please be Rod Sterling in the new updated version. And when they update it at uh, the Tower of Terror in Magic or Hollywood Studios, he can do all that stuff too. Absolutely. Like I need another excuse to go to Disney. Perfect. Well, more good news this time coming in the context of some awful news. Uh, last time we hung out off air, you told me you were going to make a 
run at watching the Scream TV show? Yeah, I'm actually, as soon as this is over, I'm going to start it up. Well, MTV and Netflix, you know, are working on that project together. And when Harvey Weinstein, his scandal broke, one of the major questions is what's going to happen with the Scream reboot that Netflix and MTV are, are developing. Um, they've just, you know, they're pressing on with it. So is, I'm sorry, is it, a, is it an actual movie? My understanding, it's a separate project from the MTV show. Okay. But it's going to be rebooted as a six-part miniseries. <laughs> so I think Netflix will have it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe MTV will have first rides and then Netflix will take it when it goes to streaming. But they're continuing to shoot in Atlanta. They're casting for local extras with generic Halloween costumes uh, for a trick-or-treat sequence. We know for sure that the ghost face mask is going to be back, and we're going to see it over the course of six episodes like I already mentioned. Okay, awesome. So Ghostface is returning. Uh, have you seen anything on the MTV version of it? Like, have you seen the mask or anything? I have seen the the steel that is the photo they use on Netflix for, okay. you know, promoting the, the show. That's it. Yeah. I watched the pilot when, when it first came out, and uh, and then I just kind of trapered off and didn't have a chance to keep up with it. But the mask is different in the MTV version, so I'm hoping that by this, it's, you know, I mean, well, actually, yeah, you said it's the iconic ghost face mask, so that in itself makes me want to tune in to watch it. Yeah, and they're uh, calling it a reboot, so maybe they will stick pretty close to the raw elements. Yeah. You know? Could we get Nev Campbell in it? I'm sure she's available. And could she get killed off in the first episode? Uh, are you cutting the paycheck? Because I'm sure anything's available for a price. Sure. Absolutely, I will. Have her call my new boss, Dolly Parton, and we'll get it all squared Straightened away. Out. Yeah. Uh, more good news. Something that you yourself predicted. Yes. In our episode covering Andy Muschietti's It monster release this year. Just call me Nostrazumus. Available in the Saw Something Scary archives on your favorite podcast platform. Jessica Chastain is down to play Beverly in It Chapter 2. Yes. She told Screen Rant, Well, I love Andy and Barbara, talking about the Muschietti's. I worked with them on Andy's directorial debut, uh, debut, debut, his film Mama. Hold up. So that was Muschietti's first film? Yeah. Did we cover that? The, 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 the fact that that's his first film? I don't think so. Holy smokes, man. Well, I'm going to go back and review the whole movie, because I've been kind of itching to watch it since okay. I saw it. Then let's do that. Let's make that next week's episode. Okay. Can Right now. Call me. <laughs> right. She said, Barbara is one of my best friends, so listen, of course I want to work. They're my friends. They're like my family. Anything they're doing, I want to be part of, so I hope I can make it happen. As you would imagine, Muccietti's down. He told Variety, Jessica's an amazing actress, a very good friend, and I would love her to play Beverly. She loves the movie and feels like the planets are aligned in that sense. We still have to make it happen. There are a lot of ideas for the rest of the cast I'm playing with, but it's a bit too premature to say those names right now. It wasn't premature for us. We've already cast this for him. Yeah. Get Chris Pratt. That's a home run. Jessica Chastain, you're welcome. Chadwick Boseman. Uh, who else did we say? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We said Jake Gyllenhaal for somebody, I think. And I know that we said, I think we landed on Christian Bale for uh, Bill. Bill. Thank you. Done and done. Yeah. We're doing all the heavy lifting here, Machete. Uh, just pay us the money. Exactly. It's not like your movie didn't just make all the money. Exactly. So you can afford this. So that's awesome, dude. Um, I hope that works out. I really do. That was the one, I think that was the one uh, casting decision when we were talking about it where I was like, that's got to happen. They've got history to together. She looks like Sophia uh, Lillis, I think is her last name. We'll go with that. Sure. So she she looks like the girl that played Bev in the first movie. It's a home run. No brainer. So, yeah. Last little bit I've got to put in front of you is a fun little bit of uh, fan service from okay. the Friday the 13th world as well as Evil Dead. Ooh. 
So according to Adam Marcus, who directed 1993's Jason Goes to Hell. May I stop you right there? You saw Jason Goes to Hell. I did as well. I think that's actually the first movie I saw of the Jason series. What did you think about it? I thought it was the first movie where I realized they were winking at the audience in a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if I had seen Wes Craven's New Nightmare before that or not. I, I don't remember where they came out in relationship to each other. But clearly that was the first one where they wanted the audience to know they were in on the joke. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure this was the first one that I saw. And I remember being like, man, that was kind of, even at like eight or nine, being like, that wasn't that scary. That was kind of like campy. Probably the same thing I'm picking up on there. Yeah. Right? So anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to know what your opinion was on it because Lord knows if we'll ever talk about it again or not. Sure. Well, if you remember, the Necronomicon from Evil Dead shows up in that movie just kind of briefly there in, I think, the basement. And uh, Marcus says that he intentionally put it in there to link the world of Camp Crystal Lake and Ashes Smart. He told Horror Geek Life, I wanted to create a mythology for Jason in this movie because it had driven me nuts as a viewer. He's talking about how Jason went so rapidly from a small boy to a full-grown, unkillable monster so quickly. So he says, I have this idea that Pamela Voorhees makes a deal with the devil by reading from the Necronomicon to bring back her son. And that's why Jason isn't Jason. He's Jason plus the evil dead. And now I believe that he can go from that little boy that lives in a lake to a full-grown man in a couple of months to zombie Jason to never being able to kill this guy. That, to me, is way more interesting as a mashup. And he says Sam Raimi loved the idea. Huh. So he said, I couldn't tell New Line my plan to include the evil dead because they don't own the evil dead. It had to be an Easter egg, but I did focus on it. There's a whole scene that includes the book, and I hope people would get it and can figure out that's what I'm up to. So yes, in my opinion, Jason Voorhees is a deadite. He is one of the evil dead. It is absolutely canon. Holy smokes, man. It's pretty funny that, I mean, I shouldn't say funny. It makes sense that the director who makes the movie that tells the audience we're all in on this together yeah. is the one who makes this kind of choice and links it. Sure. But that's super cool. Yeah, that is really fun. Um, And how crazy that a, a movie that's almost 25 years old gets some new uh, new information brought to light about it, right? Maybe, I don't know, man. There, it seems like basically the whole cosmos is chomping at the bit to get some more Friday the 13th, right? We just had that great fan film. We have this guy coming out with this news. Um, can we get this done, Paramount? Yeah, for real. Maybe the new, um, do you watch Ash vs. Evil Dead? I know we've talked about it, but I can't remember your answer. Um, I have watched the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead. I have not been able to continue it from there, but I loved it. I thought it was really great, a really great continuation of that story. Uh, uh, I'm all in on Bruce Campbell doing that role until he's in the grave. And even after that, if he wants to come back as a zombie. You'll be reading it. from the Necronomicon? I, I probably. I mean, I own a copy. so Maybe <laughs> that's what you get here on Saw Something Scary. Authenticity. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it'll get a little, maybe the new uh, Friday the 13th project that everybody's chomping at the bit for will get a little shine from Ash vs. Evil Dead and this attention and the horror, excuse me, and the fan film and we'll actually get a movie. It'd be fun to see him pop up in Ash vs. Evil Dead. Oh, that'd be super awesome. Right? Super awesome. And that, yeah, I mean, his thing is camp, but you can handle that in a way that's respectful and doesn't totally take the air out of the movie. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen Jason in camp for what? Probably I mean, since this movie, everyone since then. Yeah. Except for maybe the reboot. Except for maybe the reboot back in 09. With Jared Padalecki. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. um, Absolutely true. It'd be super great. I'd love to see that happen. They just need to get some creatives on this and put some money towards it. I mean, I know that sounds like, well, yeah, and they also need to create the cosmos, but they're a major motion picture 
studio. They have a property that's uh, grandfathered into the horror movie Golden Age we're living in. Right. Get this done. Yeah. You would think that, again, I mean, we're just, we're going back and forth like we did last week, but you would you would imagine that there's somebody out there that loves this property enough to go, all right, here we go. It's an indictment of their studio if they can't get it done. Sure. Absolutely. And, the fa- and uh, I apologize, but again, just the fact that we have seen reboots and sequels to movies that we did not want sequels to still makes me scratch my head over the fact of why can't we get this. And I think even, didn't we say at one point, like, Rings bumped Friday the 13th? I, I feel like it was it was one of those movies that you and I both detested. And we're like, hey, you want to hear something even better? This bumped the new Friday the 13th reboot. I want to say it was Rings. That's crushingly depressing. Yeah, it is upsetting. So, yeah, let's let's make this happen. Uh, speaking of which, did you get a chance to watch that fan? Okay, I didn't I either. I did not. Yeah. I didn't either. So, when, uh, when we reconvene on this, so we've got Killer Christmas next week. So, when we do Mama, why don't we review that uh, that movie as well? That okay. fan-made movie. Yeah, I've got this broken piece of bottle. I'm going to cut my hand. You cut yours and we'll have a blood oath on it. Okay, fantastic. Um, also, again, remember that if uh, we're not as speedy on this as you would like, you can listen to We're Going to Need a Bigger Podcast, and they have a review of the fan-made Friday the 13th movie. Uh, was it Never Die Alone, Never Hide Alone, Never Camp Never alone, Hike Alone. Never Hike Alone. So you can look for that at the uh, We're Going to Need a Bigger Podcast. So shout out to Mike D and those boys over there. I've got one for you that bleeds into our topic for the week. So do you want to end the horror reporter and pull the curtain, or do you want me to just go ahead and... Let's go ahead and kill this part of it and get into talking about Stranger Things Season 2. So All right. that... This has been this week's Eric, it is time to pull the curtain. Pull the string! Stranger Things Season 2 coming at you from Saw Something Scary. It's my uh, Bella Lugosi, Ed Wood thing. There's a, one of the movies they did. It may have been the cross-dressing one. Uh, there's a part at the beginning where Bella is like in this evil lair and he's doing this huge monologue and he goes, Pull the string! And it's just this huge thing. It's in Ed Wood, the movie. So. I guess Russo. <laughs> well, I mean, either way. They're both Lithuanian, right? So, Matska! Yeah, so let's pull the curtain. And should we just go ahead? Ahead and bring Wahlberg in. Yeah, yeah for sure. sure. Okay, Wahlberg. What? No. Spoiler alert. All right. So, do you want me to start this thing? Yeah, off? man. Let's go. Okay, it. awesome. I put this up on our uh, Facebook page earlier this week. It was from the Huffington Post. Uh, it was from somebody in, on Reddit, I believe. No, maybe I'm wrong on that. But anyway, here's a really cool connection that somebody made um, about Bob and the movie It. Did you see this? I did. It's actually in our notes for the sh- uh, episode today. Oh, is it? Okay. I'm really glad to hear this. So go for it. Yeah. So the connection uh, is made when you know Bob in episode number four is driving uh, Will. There it is. Golly. So. In episode number four, Bob's driving Will to school, and he mentions that as a kid he has nightmares about this uh, thing called Mr. Baldo, right? It's a clown that offers him a balloon, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, just like Pennywise does in It. Um, and then at another point, Bob suggests to Joyce that they buy his house, his parents' house in Maine, which, of course, it takes place in Derry, Maine. So people are starting to connect that um, Bob's parents are from Maine, and he was haunted by an evil clown, uh, which would have been in the late 50s. Now he's, in, now he's an adult, and it's right around the time that Pennywise would have come back in the 80s. So, guess what, guys? It and Stranger Things are connected. Apparently, uh, Finn Wolfhard repeats the same line in Stranger Things that he does at the end of It. So, who knows, man? And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Duffer Brothers were begging to make the It remake, and the studio was just like, no, sorry, fam. We talked about that at some previous episode, because we, we said, like, obviously, these are the people who are super well prepared to do it. Yeah. Muschietti, no criticism whatsoever.
never. Of course would, not. Wouldn't take it and hand it to the Duffer Brothers. And if, I, I apologize for interrupting, but think about the fact that I'm kind of glad that they didn't do it because now they've made this universe that we get to enjoy. You know, uh, last season, this season, and probably two more seasons. So I'm all about that. Yeah, and if there is another alternative universe out there where the Duffer Brothers made it, I'd love to watch that too. If somebody can smuggle the footage to me, absolutely. So where do you want to start? We can talk about the cast. We can talk about the individual episodes themselves. We can talk about reception to it. Just you know, random details. I say we get the the biggest glaring elephant in the room out of the way. Okay. And we just go ahead and, and talk about episode seven. Okay. Because it is the most polarizing episode of Stranger Things ever. Uh, the majority of the people that I have I have read on message boards and social media and things like that hated it. There's a small section that don't hate it. Shout out to Jason Hull. What up, Jason? Um, but I'm kind of in the middle on it. I, I didn't think it was a horrible episode, but uh, you and I talked about it. The fact that like everything crescendos in episode six, and then it just comes to a screeching halt for episode seven. Or it's put on pause indefinitely. That Yeah, either way. And then, so then you have 45 minutes of this whole new story that we got a glimpse of in the first episode for the first, what, five minutes of the first episode. Nothing else. And then you get thrown right back into this panic and, and chaos for the last few episodes. So what are your thoughts on episode seven? Where, where do you come in on it? Um, do you think it was a good idea? Do you think it was a bad idea? Just in general, where, where do you stand on it? My theory on why episode seven exists is that they needed they needed Eleven to be able to come back in control of her powers enough to close whatever that thing is called, the breach or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so I read this as a as an episode where she goes off to Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, or actually in this case, joining up with the Morlocks and kind of developing her powers and whatnot. I've read a lot of people online suggesting that this is going to set up next season. Mm-hmm. And I get that probably they're going to have to head out of Hawkins at some point. But the charm of this show to me is that it takes place in a small town in the 80s, right? Right. So for them to like shift over to big city 1980s, they can do whatever they want to with their property. I'm going to feel that as a loss, right? So I'm hopeful that my read is right and, you know, the other speculation I've read is not right. Yeah. So it took me way out of the narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, it just felt really harsh and abrupt, like you already said. I get why I think they needed it in the story, but I wouldn't have done it that way. I may have had Hopper, I don't know, I probably would have had some resolution to that conflict that drove her and Hopper apart. I would have had her leave the cabin, not go there, but to go into some kind of environment where she was forced to use her powers, you know, tap into that rage, use her powers more fully. I would have kept it in Hawkins. Okay. Your thoughts? Um, That part didn't bother me. Uh, geographically, it bothered me because, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but where they were talking about, they would have been in the lake. Like, they would have been in Lake Michigan. So, get your, get your ish right, Duffer Brothers. Come on. Um, but, yeah, like I said, to me, you're at that, there's not a lot of scary stuff in this in this season. Um, there's not a lot of those, like, white-knuckled moments like there was in, in season number one, which I think is fine, right? But episode six was was where it, where it builds up, like where it hits. Four through six, I think, are the strongest parts of this season narratively. Okay. Um, I liked watching nine, I'm sorry, eight and nine the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. But four and six are the backbone of this Yeah, story. I, I agree with that completely. And so you've hit this huge crescendo, you know, your white knuckle watching it on your TV or on whatever device you're watching it on. And then the next thing, you're watching the New Mutants, right, in in the 1980s. So I understand that you have to build this world up a little bit more and you're, you're trying to expand things. And like you said, eventually we're going to have to leave Indiana. Um, I, there's even talks now that season three, there will be a time jump. So that it allows these kids to grow up a little bit and stuff, which is smart, right? Like Because the kids are going to be growing up. Yeah, I mean, these kids, by the time that this next season comes out, are going to be 16, 17 
17 years old. You can't still have them being 13, you know, in middle school. Like, they need time to mature. Uh, so, I understand all that, but I don't know, man. It, I, I thought that it was really weird to start the season with that that heist and, and stuff. And I think you even, even put in here, it, it's what I felt like, too, is uh, just that first five minutes felt like the first season of Heroes, right? Um, I just kept waiting on Hayden Penitera to come up and, like, jump off something and, you know, reattach her arm or whatever the situation is. So that was weird. The first the first thing I thought was, oh god, there's more 11s. Like there's a whole lot more 11s. That's what we're going to get through this entire season is we're going to discover all of these people that are like 11. And so thank goodness that that didn't happen cuz that would have I think that would have been exhausting. Yeah. yeah. The episode as a whole I enjoyed, but in the uh, in the season doing it that way, I wasn't a big fan of it. It does feel like a cut and paste from some other Stranger Things season. Yeah. And I'm I'm with you. I felt the the opening to this season was just the same. Like how does this square? It's obviously the same universe, but it's an odd step. I'll say this in favor of that episode. It felt as authentically 80s as the rest of the series. Agreed. It's just the Lost Boys rather than Goonies, yeah. right? I could have I could have easily uh, been alright with James McAvoy wheeling up you know, towards the end of that end of that episode and being like, you all need to come with me. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, sure, yeah, that all makes sense now. Sure. Here we go. You know, sure. next thing you know, that dude's gonna have claws and that chick's gonna be blue and you know, He's going to do something Perfect. with his mind. Yeah. yeah. I get it. So, again, standing alone, sure. I, I do feel the discontinuity in the way it's placed in the series. That's not original to us. That's nothing new. But, yeah, it, it it's a thing. Yeah. And and to the Duffer's credit, they understand the backlash on it, and they've defended it. So, you can't, you can't go, I mean, you can't be any happier than that, right? Like, instead of them going full force being like, well, you guys are stupid. That episode's awesome. They're like, look, we understand, but it was integral to where we're going. So, can't go wrong with that. Well, that does. I, did, I wasn't aware of that quote, but that probably indicates we'll get some more of that in the future. Sure. Oh, I well, mean, I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing. That may sure. not have been exactly what was said, um, but it was, you know, they defended it to the point of, like, it needed to happen. Sure. So, sure. I get why they, they see that. I think you could have done it more intra-Hawkins, but who am I to criticize these guys? I mean, they've they've turned out to super, super impressive projects here. Yeah, let me, let me just go ahead and put you on the spot on this, then. Did you enjoy this season more than season one? No. Okay. I, I may have enjoyed this season like right up to the cusp of as much. Mm. But man, in 2016, this thing caught me out of nowhere. It was one of the most refreshing, um, enjoyable, what's the right term? Like a comment out of the clear blue sky, right? I just, I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. And I was enthralled. It's just hard to get that back. It's hard to, you know, replicate your first love. Sure. So they did as good a job sort of reconnecting you with it as they possibly could. It's just hard for me to, to say I liked it more than this thing that I love so much and felt so intensely when I first saw it. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm that's, assuming you're across fair. the fence from me. No, I, I mean, at first I was, um, because I had this conversation with, with a friend of mine, and uh, it was probably maybe a day after I got I'd finished watching it, and he had just finished watching it as well. And I said, am I wrong in thinking that this was better than the first season? And he said, yeah, you're wrong. I said, okay, well, tell me, tell me why I'm wrong. And he said a few things, and I said, okay, I understand where you're coming from on that, but I don't know, man. I, I really, really enjoyed this season, but looking back on it, I think it's just that I rediscovered my love for these characters and there was a recency bias of like these are the episodes I got to see. Um, so I, I think I would agree with you. Not as much, but right. I mean right there. Kind of like with The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, right? Like, I, it wasn't going to surpass that movie, but it was right there with it where I was like, yeah, that's, that's great. So I, I feel the same way. Well, and you may be getting at two different questions there. This may have been a better season. The, the plot may have been more crisp. Uh, the acting may have been 
better. They probably did have a bigger budget. You know what I mean? Like, I, this didn't strike me as some big budget production. Yeah. This may be, if we went to film school, technically a better season. Sure. It's just hard for that to hit my heart the same way. You likened it to the Nolan films. I had been thinking about The Force Awakens versus the original Star Wars trilogy. Okay. Yeah. You know, so much of The Force Awakens is hitting the same beats what I love from that original trilogy. And that, you know, like this show, they're, uh, they're often criticized, saying, hey, this is all stuff we've seen before. Look, it's a super important orphan wearing white on a sand world, right? Yeah. Flying the Millennium Falcon. Right. Um, sure, I love it, and I'm happy to receive more of it. It's just built on my affections for what came prior. And I won't really hear criticism about it, because guess what? It was awesome to be back in this world again. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that that'll be the same way about Season 3 as well. You know, like, it'll just be nice to be reacquainted with these characters, um, even if they lose their fastball a little bit. It'll still be good to come back into this world. Well, I'm willing to I'm willing to believe them, uh, or excuse me, I'm willing to believe in them. Oh no, I I agree. I'm not I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. But just if it's the law of diminishing returns, it'll still be good to go back to these characters and to go back to the nostalgia of the '80s and everything. Sure, so. you, you're absolutely right there. I guess what I'm saying is the Duffers have shown with Episode Seven that they're going to take risks and make hard choices to set us up for a longer narrative, right? Yeah. And you asked me if I had watched the companion piece that Netflix released with this. Beyond Stranger Things? Beyond Stranger Things. They say in there that, um, how'd they word it? They said something along the lines of, we want to be constantly trying new things mm-hmm. to, to give it a freshness, even as we carry along with the things that made everybody love this. Sure. And I'm willing to believe, one, they're going to do it, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, two, they're going to pull it off. I agree. So, uh, go for it, guys. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, let's talk about new characters, because I want I want your opinion on some of the new characters. I'd love to do that. Can we talk about a couple more, or just one other element from the episodes themselves? Sure. I don't think that these guys will be freed up to do this, but I would I would chip in on a GoFundMe for a spinoff series where Steve and Dustin travel around doing Scooby-Doo style investigations. Oh my gosh. I don't know if there was any one single element of that entire season that I love more than that dynamic. Yeah, uh, there's a lot I want to talk about when with Steve Harrington, so let's, let's put a pin in that for right now. But yeah, dude, I'm all for any kind of a spinoff right now with Steve and Dustin. Yeah, man, I didn't expect Steve to play the big brother so well. Yeah. And Dustin to be the, like, wide open little brother, but give me more. Yeah. And if, if we can get him in paranormal situations, we're cool. Yeah. All right, so that's all I really wanted to say left, talking about specific episodes. I think that was episode five where we got to have that, you know, like, talking about hair product as they're throwing yeah. chunks of meat out as on the railroad yeah, track. Yeah, as they're standby me in down the <laughs> railroad tracks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll put a pin in the Steve Harrington thing because uh, I got a lot to say about that guy for sure. Uh, yeah, man. So let's let's talk about let's talk about new characters. Okay. So you want to talk about which one first? Uh, let's talk about. Okay. Well, we had what five new characters this season? We had Bob. Um, golly, that one's gonna be hard to get through. Uh, Billy, Max, Eight, because I can't remember her name and her like crew. Yeah. Uh, we'll just count Eight as as one person. And Paul uh, Risers. Uh, okay, Paul Risers character, and then also um, Morty or Bert or whatever that guy's name was, the private eye guy. Oh, yeah. The conspiracy theorist. Yeah. That was like, how was the pool out? Yeah. Yeah. What a line. Um, so, I, I guess I'm just going to gush here. I liked every one of them. And I'm amazed that they were able to integrate that many new characters and make me care about every one of them. Like, it, it's not just that these new characters came into the narrative, but I ended up liking and rooting for each one of them. And again, I've said it before, I have like a the, you know, the warm-hearted uncle approach to these kind of things. Really? You you were rooting for Billy? Well, I was I was invested in Billy in the way the Duffers wanted me to be 
invested in Billy. Let me okay. say it that way. Okay. Billy Billy took me on the exact journey I think they wanted me to go on. He's obviously a uh, scumbag that I hated from the jump. Mm-hmm. I felt deeply sympathetic for him in that confrontation with his dad. And it's a lot like it, right? When I first meet Billy, everything they want me to think, I'm thinking. Scumbag, loser, full of himself, right? Then I feel deeply sympathetic to him in that confrontation with his dad when his dad beats him up. And you're, you're thinking like, oh, I get why why he's basically the guy that he is, right? Yeah. And what a phenomenal, I apologize for interrupting, but what a phenomenal like one-note performance from Will Chase who comes in. Will Chase for, uh, from Nashville comes in in that one scene. And uh, I've, I've personally met Will and worked with him on, on a few scenes in Nashville. He's a sweetheart of a guy. And he just comes in and he's the biggest dirtbag in the world. Yeah, he and plays he's, a monster. Yeah. As, as real of a monster, a more real monster than that smoke creature we've been dealing with all season. Right. <laughs> what, was John Locke in this? Yeah, I, I, one of my notes for the cast is that it's good to see Lost Smoke Monster <laughs> continuing to work. Amen to that, brother. Um, so I'm feeling sympathetic for Billy in that moment. I'm wondering if there's a shift in his character coming. When he's flirting with uh, Mike and... Nancy's mom. Nancy's Mrs. mom. Wheeler. Yeah. I think he did a really good job there. And then when he goes full-on psychopath, I wanted him to die when he's attacking them later on. You know, kind of the last time we get to see him. Yeah. Then by the time that she, Max, is getting ready for the snowball dance or whatever, and he kind of looks into her room and moves along, even then I'm going, maybe there's redemption for this guy. Yeah. So again, I guess I'm rooting for him by the end of it, but I was I was invested positively in him according to what I think the Duffers wanted me to do. Okay. You're not there. I didn't like either Max or uh, Billy. Oh, that's a shame. I didn't I, I didn't really feel like that there was a need for either one of them. Yeah. Um, I felt like that we Max was involved because they needed a female in the group and they knew that they were going to keep Eleven away from them as much as possible. Um, she's also sort of a, I don't want to say a red herring, but she's a distraction, right? Mysterious new girl sure. comes in. Yeah. I do think she served a role in the plot. I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that, but go ahead. I don't okay. want to do that too um, Yeah. So I just, I just felt like that they, they were there for the sake of being there. And Billy, to me, he, <laughs> to reference uh, our other podcast, reference the Mega Potters, he has Jinder Mahal heat with me. Like anytime he was on the screen, I was just like, okay, just when, whenever you're ready to go, just go. And the only time that I felt anything remotely for him was that last episode where Will Chase comes in and threatens him. And then also he does turn the charm factor on with Mrs. Wheeler. And I was like, okay, that's fun. Um, And then... Fun that he's maybe going to provoke an adulterous affair. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's going to happen in season three. Let's be honest. If if Billy from the Power Rangers or Jason from the Power Rangers comes back as Billy, because that's who played him, the guy who played Jason from this uh, from the new Power Rangers, if he comes back, they're going to have some kind of weird thing going on. Like, Yeah, and I'm going to just go on the record. I'm not rooting for that. Uh, and, you know, I'm saying fun sarcastically there. Right. But it got that actress doing something more than just drifting around the home. Yeah. She she finally was able to to turn a different side to her character and I enjoyed that. Round out the character. Yeah. It was nice to see instead of the frazzled home wife who hate, obviously hates her life and is just constantly boozing it up. Uh, it was nice to see her play. You know, they have a really great chemistry and it was nice to see them play off on it. Yeah. They really did have chemistry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I, I mean, I enjoyed the, the fight with Steve because you finally got to see Steve back as, like, Steve. But when he gets the upper hand and just starts beating the trash out of Steve, I was like, dang it. Can we not go a season without Steve Harrington getting the crap kicked out of him? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, yeah, I just, I wasn't a, I wasn't a big fan. Um, 
you know, and and probably half the reason that I don't like Max is because Dustin is my favorite of the Stranger Things boys, and to see her go off with Lucas and break my boy's little heart after he did his hair up and looked so fresh during the dance, I was like, you harlot. That's on Dustin, man. Dustin pushed her away every chance he got. Sure. That is the thing I like about Max. One, I think that little, that actress did an incredible job. Yeah, don't get me wrong. She she was wonderful, and, and the guy that plays Billy, uh, he has a weird name, like uh, Dacre or Dacre or something like that. He did a great job as the character. I just felt like that they were they were there because they were like oh we need new people here we go well she is I think necessary to the plot for this reason okay I think she is the catalyst that actualizes something that we would think about were we writing this season you can have the cute little AV club boys club that there's no conflict in basically right up to a certain part of masculine development at some point friction is going to be introduced those ties are going to loosen a little bit there's going to be conflict I'm not saying the friendships won't survive but they won't go along in like the blissful naivety of youth forever, right? So basically, Max becomes a catalyst for that group to sort of say, are we really as strong as we thought we were back in the day? Sure. And in a, in a lesser way, um, the lizard creature that turns into a Demogorgon. Yeah. Um, Dart. Dart does a little bit of that too, right? Mm-hmm. So now Dustin's keeping secrets. Uh, there's a, you know, Mike and Dustin can't stand Max, but um, is it Lucas? Yeah. Lucas. Lucas is gravitating towards her. He's more charitable. Um, I thought she played a realistic role in the group. And she did it sort of from a good-hearted place. Like sure. She was willing to powell around with these losers. Yeah, she wasn't Yoko Ono. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that, that's fair. I see your point on that. The only thing I'm going to say else about Billy is that he looks like that de-aged Tony Stark from Avengers 2 come to life and I will, drop back in 1984. I will flip this table if you ever if you ever compare Billy to Robert Downey Jr. Dude, he looks to me like if, if Robert Downey Jr. could asexually spawn and create offspring from only his own DNA, you would end up with that kid. See, I completely disagree with you. My take on Billy was Rob Lowe from the 80s uh, and Fabio. If they had a baby, that would have been Billy. Okay. Um, he, if I could buy stock in actors as like coming heartthrobs, he is in, I think, the Channing Tatum like track. You know yeah. what I mean? He's going to follow right after, I don't know if Chris Pratt goes ahead of him and then Channing Tatum. It's going to be Billy after that. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't develop and do a pretty good actor. Yeah, I mean, I thought he did a great job during this stuff, right? And he's Australian. You wouldn't have known that. No. Uh, you know, it kind of it kind of freaked me out. It was like when you hear Millie Bobby Brown speak in her normal normal voice for the first time, you're like, wait a minute, she's British? It's the same thing with this guy. He's on Beyond Stranger Things in his normal voice, and I think in one of the episodes uh, later on in the in the cluster. And uh, yeah, just real real Australian and stuff. And it seems like a really great dude and, and really laid back and stuff. So I'm buying stock in that dude. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a smart move. That's a really smart move for sure. Speaking of people who did good jobs, there's nobody here who I thought did not do a really good job. I was really impressed with Will. Will had a lot more to do. If you're going to talk MVP of the season, that kid is it, by far. Um, a plea that I know has been said before on other channels, but for the love of God, stop messing with Will in season three. Like, let, give that kid give that kid a bag of weed and some Doritos and just let him chill out <laughs> and, and, and mess with somebody else. Because that poor boy has just been through so much in the last two seasons. We uh, we don't advocate smoking weed here on Sauce on the Scare. Not at all, but holy smokes, man. Like, let him go to Disney World or a book fair or whatever his little heart desires and mess with somebody else. The way that he played not only Will, but also this... Um, possessed Will. Possessed Will. Yeah, what was the word I was looking for? Um, not stooge, but... Um, I think they called him a spy. Yeah, the spy. Thank you. When He plays the spy and he plays Will, and it's that incredible scene 
scene where they've got him tied up in Castle Briars, and it, it reminded me of uh, Betty Gabriel in Get Out. Oh, yeah, man. That's really good. That's yeah. a really good comparison. I, I mean, th- that's the first thing that my mind went to, was that part where you see um, you see the, the girl, sni- you know, get out of the grandma, and then she shoves her back down, right? And it was the same thing with this kid. Like, Will, you can tell that Will is wanting to come out, and then all of a sudden, the possession or the demogorgon or whatever it is, you know, puts him back in, and he's just like, let me out, let me out, let me out. I thought it was thought it was fantastic. And, you know, they, they did such a demanding thing for the actor in that. They didn't give him the deep, growly, possessed voice. It was still his voice. Yeah. It was just different inflection and di- different emphasis, and he pulled it off. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm betting, this is another point I want to talk about with the cast, I'm betting that the series is going to shift towards uh, Mike and Eleven, or excuse me, Jane now, right? Mm-hmm. We can put the number away because we actually know her name. I think the series will probably shift to something focused on Mike and Jane's relationship, uh, and we'll rotate to the side. You know, they, they basically put Mike on the bench for most of this season. Yeah, he was he was definitely not himself. Like, he was kind of the breakout guy from last year, right? Mm-hmm. He, he and Eleven both were kind of those those breakout stars. He was put on the bench. Um, you know, you Dustin steps up. Uh, Lucas has more to do. Um, you know, Max is introduced. Max and she is gets introduced. A lot of attention. Uh, you know, everybody else is kind of there, and Will's off to himself. And, and when he finally becomes Will again is when Eleven gets brought back into the fold, which I well, thought it's was also, wonderful. It's also where Mike really gets reengaged, right? He's the one there in the hospital room with him. Right. Not. So I'm assuming that, again, Jane and Mike will move to the center. Will will rotate to a more supporting position. But I think Will, I think Will's got a bright future ahead of him, that actor. And I would be writing him to play the guy who's like seen some stuff mm-hmm. and been through it mm-hmm. and can give you a calm head who, you know, this is sort of like trial by fire. He's coming out of the far side of it. He can be a leader in the group yeah. uh, and kind of shepherd them through whatever the coming conflict's going to be. I'd totally buy that because that kid, like you said, has seen some stuff yeah. and he survived it. So he can bring a, a calming presence. Yeah, I'd also like to see sort of a relationship, not a not a romantic relationship, but more of a, a friendship built between uh, Will and Jane because they've always been connected to one another, right? Great point. Like, she, she helped bring him out of the upside down in the first season. She opened up the portal into the upside down. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to see that. And plus, just basing it off of, of real-life actor relationships, apparently Millie Bobby Brown and Noah, uh, whatever the kid's last name is, are actually best friends oh, in real cool. life. So I'd like to see them play off one another more. Like bring off-screen chemistry. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be great. Um, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the hero of this season. How good is that guy, man? God bless you, Sean Astin. No kidding. I mean... I didn't realize how much I needed him in my life. Okay, well, let me, let me ask you this question. In the first few episodes that we see Bob, because obviously that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Bob Newbie superhero. Um, the hero we needed and deserved. In the first couple episodes, I was like, something's up with that dude. My wife was in the same place. He's shady, right? Like, something's up. He's too chill and too much of a good guy to be playing it straight. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, it, it, it activates, not to interrupt you, I'm no, sorry, you're but fine. it activates your alarm bells for Winona's character. Right. He's taking advantage of her. He's setting her up. Don't want to see her get hurt. Why can't she be with Hopper? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is probably the biggest thing, right? We ship uh, Jopper so much, right? Joyce and Hopper, that when you see somebody else come into it, like, for instance, I remember, uh, you know, the, the video game came out a couple weeks ago before the, the show re-debuted, and there's at one point where I was playing as Hopper, and you meet one of the townsfolk, excuse me, you meet one of the townsfolk, and they're like, yeah, love the, the guy at the new electronics store. I hear he's dating Joyce. And inside of me, just playing that game, I was like, what is going on? We're going there right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to find I'm gonna find his electronics store. I'm going to beat the trash 
cash out of this dude, right? So when he comes in and he's he, he's he's just too goody goody, right? And uh, you know, I hope it doesn't suck, and just all that stuff. You're just you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And in that episode four where they're talking about Mr. Baldo, I was like, something about to happen. And um, and I'll tell you this: this came out of the Beyond Stranger Things. Will was originally supposed to kill Bob in that episode. Really? Yeah, that's when he was supposed to make the full fledged evil turn. Was during that part. Wow. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been a completely different show. I don't know right? if I could have come back from that. I know. And so the the Duffer brothers said that Bob wasn't supposed to be as uh, as big a part of the show, but they loved Sean Astin so much, and he brought so much to the table that they just kept prolonging the inevitable, and they eventually had to do it at episode eight. And one, oh, I forget which one of the Duffer said it, but he said that it pained him so much that he had to like walk away for a minute because he didn't want to let go of Bob. Bob was incredible. I mean, think about what this family in story has been through, yeah. right? And their life has been chaotic. It's turned upside down. They're dealing with forces far beyond their ability to control. And this white bread, hokey, um, nice guys finish last stereotype comes into their life. And like Joyce is a different person because she's with him. Yeah. She's not as neurotic. She's not as spastic. She's much more grounded. She's, you know, working in a stable, rela- uh, not just a stable relationship, but a stable job. Yeah. Um, you are, I think you're constantly in this tension of, I want her to be with Hopper. Right. But I can't root against her being with Bob. He's such a good job. And look, man, I am, I'm always going to be on Sean Astin's team. He could be the biggest jerk in the world in real life, but Rudy, you know, still has a place in my heart. Yeah. And he was perfect for Samwise. Yeah. Who is the hero of Lord of the Rings. Come at me, Frodo nerds. It's Samwise Gamgee and Astin captures it perfectly. And like, he is sort of a return to the Shire Samwise Gamgee mm-hmm. living in Hawkins, Indiana in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't get enough of it. While, while Rudy and, and uh, Lord of the Rings are two of the best of his roles, you forget that he was in the Goonies. Yeah, that's true too, man. That's true. And so it's just, it's just full man. circle. Yeah, It's just dude. full circle. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Yep. Hey, brilliant casting. Wonderful performance. He's got, you know, screw off money, right? Like he can sure. tell people, I got, there's nothing you're going to do to get me into your project. Yeah. And the fact that he came back for this. Um, well, he auditioned for this. Like he sent them a tape. That's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. And I'm so thankful it played out played out that way. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Again, like there's just so much about that that you, you want to, well, I guess because you just know how this, this show is, right? And you've seen Joyce's taste in men before. Hopper excluded, but like her ex-husband was a dirtbag. And you just, you're, again, like I said before, you're just waiting on the shoe to drop. And the longer this thing goes, the more heroic Bob becomes. And like, he's the guy that helps solve the puzzle and helps save Hopper. And, you know, and he's, he's trying to be, um, you know, he's, you know, he's trying to be brave and, and he's when, legitimately heroic. Yeah. He's like a, a normal guy. He, you know, he has that, that really telling line. I thought this stuff happened in movies and science fiction yeah, and, and comic books, comic books, not to people like us. He goes out and is a legit hero. Yeah. So. And you know, and you would think again, like for most people, they would run from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And Bob says, Nope. And you can still move with me to Maine. We can still make this happen. We can get the heck out of here. You know, he sacrifices himself for this family that he's, you, you know, we don't know how long they've been together. But clearly, they've been together significant, you know, a significant amount of time. And he still is like, "Get him out of here, you guys go. I've got to go reboot this thing. I'm the only person that can do it. I'll take care of it." Hey, in that moment there in the hallway with Hopper or in that stairwell, he tells him, "Don't wait 
for me. Yeah. You know, I don't need you to get me out of here. You go do what's best for this for these guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. Love that guy. Hurt my stomach when he got caught out of the blind side. They set that up so perfectly. Yeah. It was the only time in the in this uh, arc where I went, stop! No! Keep going! Right? Like, because he stops and he smiles and I was like, oh, you're screwed. Yeah. Like, you just got to keep running. And it was the only time that I, I yelled at the TV to be like, what are you doing, Bob? And, you know, and then just a gruesome, I mean, that's the most visceral, terrifying moment in the entire series is where the those demodogs are, are just devouring our hero. And did they leave it, you know, in that final scene we have with Bob, they just leave you there for so long. Yeah. You can, like, almost feel every bite they're yeah. taking. And apparently, uh, Sean Astin wanted to make it more gruesome. He likened it to uh, the scene in Jaws where the guy gets mm-hmm. dismembered by the, the shark. So apparently, like, they put some blood in his mouth, and at one point he just spits the blood, and there's an outtake on Beyond Stranger Things where you can see it, and the guys are like, we just we, we just love Bob too much. We couldn't couldn't let that happen. Yeah. So, Bob, Bob Newby, you're gone too soon, my friend. No kidding. And uh, thank you for thank you for getting us to the Shire. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, last thing I've got is that it seems, well, let me set it up this way. Do you remember when in the office, Ed Helms uh, started becoming more prominent? Outside of the office, he was doing the hangover stuff and was becoming like a nuclear star. Yeah. And so they started shifting him into more prominence here in the office world. Yeah. Can we put the uh, the loser sound effect from The Price is Right in there? Because that's when the office went to in my opinion. Yeah, it fell off. Uh, I hope it doesn't follow the similar trajectory, uh-huh. but I think that's happening with Finn and Millie's characters in this one. You know, Finn Wolfhard is as big a child star at this point as you could possibly be. Yeah. And Millie is the uh, the one who gets the maximum rub coming out of these two seasons, sure. right? And so I'm thinking that probably as their actual stars are rising, they become more prominent within the narrative, right? We, we kind of end with them. I know there's the kiss between Max and Lucas, but air attention is primarily on uh, Mike and, and Jane. And then I thought it was telling, too, that on the first season, excuse me, the first episode of Beyond Stranger Things, they're the two children that are trotted out. Sure. So I'm assuming that these guys are going to become much more prominent in the future seasons. More than likely. Um, but, I mean, I think at the same time, like, their their relationship was integral to the first season. So it would make sense for that to bleed over into this season. When you keep them apart for so long, it would make sense to end with them at this season. You know, like this is where this, you know, this is where uh, you get your, your conclusion. Your uh, I don't know if denouement is the right word or not, but like this is where, you know, you've been waiting nine episodes to see them together. And so that kiss, while it's still creepy for me to see two teenage kids kiss and, and be happy about it, um, that's where you're at. Sure. You know? Sure. I'm, I'm assuming that's a trajectory coming out of this though, right? They're, they're the stars on them. I would imagine. Um, I don't think this is going to be like a Ross and Rachel type relationship. Uh, I don't think the Duffers are going to go in that in that direction. I think that, you know, but yeah, I could definitely see them in the third season putting that to the forefront and, you know, but who knows, man, because we, we get a lot of great relationships out of this season. Um, as much as I didn't like Max, Lucas and Max have a great chemistry and have a great relationship. Uh, you know, we spoke just briefly about Dustin and Steve, which I want to get back to. And then also Jane and Hopper, man. Well, and then uh, what's Will's older brother's name? Jonathan. Jonathan and Nancy. Um, so they can I'll, kick rocks. I'll tell you this. In some sense, Christy, my wife and I, called Bob's death, we just applied it to a different character. Okay. I thought that in the love triangle between Steve, Jonathan, and Nancy, that Steve would be the one who got killed by something to alleviate the tension, right? Because they're clearly both great dudes that you're uh, rooting for. Nancy can only be with one of them. And I figured that this was the season Steve got killed off. It ended up working out where Bob's the one who gets killed off. But um, I thought that was going to happen.
happen there. I don't know where you think the series leaves them because he's literally on the outside looking in right. when we last see him. Uh, you don't sound like much of a fan of the Jonathan Nancy relationship. Well, well I'm just such a, I've just become such a fan of Steve Harrington. Um, so let's just go ahead and talk about it. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll just clump the three of those together, Steve, Nancy, and Jonathan. So in that first season, Steve is the flesh and blood villain of the story. Yeah, he's kind of a proto-Billy. Yeah, he really is. Um, you know, he's a jerk. Um, he takes advantage of Nancy. Uh, their negligence gets Barb killed. Uh, you know, she kind of she kind of uh, doesn't reject him fully, but kind of starts spending more time with with Jonathan. He gets mad, breaks Jonathan's camera, writes a derogatory word about Nancy on the on the uh, marquee of the movie theater, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then in that in the end of the series of, of season one, we see him make that turn. Right, he comes back. He's got the baseball bat. He's there to help. Um, he gets his butt kicked by his friend. I forget the guy's name. But, you know, we see him develop. And then in this season, man, he is, he's trying to be the right kind of boyfriend. Uh, he's going to Barb's parents' house and eating KFC. Uh, you know, he's telling Nancy, like, look, you, you know, quit drinking at that party. Uh, and the the telltale thing for me was, was when she just kind of lets loose on him in that drunken stupor and tells him basically she doesn't love him. Instead of going off the deep end like season one Steve would have, he's just like, yo, take her home. I'm out of here. And just kind of lets her be, right? Um, and then he becomes the best babysitter in the world. Best older brother. Yeah. Except for Jonathan. That's the thing, you know. I, I don't know what they do with him. I hope they have good plans with him, because I'm with you. That character is probably the character who has developed the most along the lines. I mean, I guess maybe you would say Eleven Jane maybe eclipses him just a little bit, but of the non-paranormal gifted characters, yeah. he's on the, the biggest chain. I'd still say character. as far as like a, a character arc goes, he's, the, he's got the biggest. Because, I mean, you go from he goes from the prototypical heel to the ultimate baby face in this and in and, and 11 11 matures and she becomes f- um, like almost final form you know but from- it's more like a butterfly coming out exactly yeah fair enough so I hope there's good things ahead of him I wanted Nancy and Jonathan to be together from the jump sure they've done a really good job of muddying that up and making me feel conflicted in a way that I did not expect when we first met Steve right exactly you go from only wanting Jonathan and Nancy to be together to I've even seen some things on social media this time being like, Nancy better not even look at Steve this season three because she doesn't deserve him, right? Like, we always felt like Steve didn't deserve Nancy. And now in this season, you almost kind of feel like that Nancy doesn't deserve Steve because he's become such a, you know, such a uh, a hero for these kids. And uh, yeah, man, uh, like we said uh, towards the beginning, Steve and Dustin, I just, I love those guys to death. And it was was even one of those things where I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, can you imagine how frustrated and, and just upset mom? Steve would have been had he known how evil those girls were to his baby boy Dustin during that dance. Well, and that's there's still a connection between him and Nancy, right? Yeah, because absolutely. Nancy becomes the, the the sister to his brother, yeah, and goes out there and rescues Dustin. So there's still there's still more to come there. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be so uncomfortable by it though because I'm going to be I'm just going to want resolution where everybody's happy. Sure. Well, I mean, if if uh, if this season was any indication of what's going on in season three, we'll have another female that comes in that I don't care about and she'll be the love interest for either Steve or Jonathan. Yeah. Probably Steve in that instance. Maybe, and maybe Nancy gets a little jealous heart. Yeah. Of that. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But I definitely, the the, the cool thing was is, is, you know, he walks into the dance, Dustin walks into the dance looking like a mini Steve Harrington. So, of course, Nancy's going to be the one that goes and like picks him up and dances with him and stuff because there's obviously still something there. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes for sure. Anything to say about Dustin? <sighs> I just, I love that kid so much. The guy that plays him Gaten, uh, I forget his last name, but uh, I love that actor, 
and he's another guy that you know he's he's matured. Um, he had some great he had some great stuff in this season. Uh, apparently, he got to ad lib a lot more, do a lot more improv this season. The the Duffer brothers realize that he's actually pretty good at it, so they let him you know do some more improv and things like that. And uh, his his I love the relationship he had with his mom. Right, it was mm-hmm. just such a excuse me, just a cute relationship between the two of them. Well, I mean, you're speaking as a guy who grew up with a single mom, basically. Right. right? I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you you can you can vouch for the authenticity of that thing. Absolutely. Uh, you know, granted, no Demogorgon ever ate my mom's cat. Thank God. But I could definitely, definitely Not for lack of trying. <laughs> absolutely. Um, we called him my stepfather. Real weird. Um, yeah. So I just I thought that that was a really fun dynamic between them. Uh, and also, if we're gonna say like scene for scene in. MVP, how great was Lucas's little sister? Like, she stole every every scene she had. I've already show. seen an article saying that the Duffers have said she'll get much more camera time. And she, and she should. Yeah. You know, talking about Dustin, I'm worried about his character because he's the one that I don't see a pretty quick, incredible trajectory into the future. I think you're going to have a pining Steve, right? Again, living outside the fishbowl, seeing Jonathan and Nancy. Jonathan and Nancy will be together. Um, Hopper and Joyce have their thing still were left with him. Uh, Mike and Jane, clearly. Lucas and Max, right? Uh, Will, hopefully getting a break, shifting into a different role within the group. What's left for Dustin? Yeah. And I, I'm not saying there's nothing out there for him. They may go with him as the centerpiece. Yeah. But he's not the, he's the one that I can't be like, oh yeah, clearly he's on this trajectory. Sure. That makes sense. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think that, I think that they set him up pretty well um, with Steve. And I think that, I think that going into the next season, that's what people are going to want to see, or is, is more Steve and Dustin. If that's the relationship they give Steve, and it becomes like Jedi Master and Padawan, sign me up, man. Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll chip in on a GoFundMe for that. Absolutely. Um, the, I guess really the last thing I want to say, talking about the actors and the episodes themselves, I am so thankful that the Duffers aren't afraid of a happy ending. Yeah. You know, one of the things that has plagued the most prominent um, series in this golden age of TV we're living in, they can tell incredible stories, but they have a real hard time bringing the ship into port. Dexter was unsatisfying. Lost was, I don't have terms for how unsatisfying it was. People were upset about The Sopranos. You just go on and on yeah, and on. How I Met Your Mother. Sure. Yeah. The Duffers avoid that by simply saying let's put a nice bow on it. Now there's going to be a trailing edge. Sure. And there and there has to be. Absolutely. But we get the payoff of just these kids had a sweet moment in a dance and the two adults we care the most about after, you know, Bob um, they're outside enjoying a moment together as well. That's just so refreshing. Yeah. And I don't want to hear, you know, complaints about it being sentimental or too easy or anything like that. Just shut up and enjoy the moment. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that they are also the kind of creatives who give us actually likable characters. Yeah. They have real conflict. They don't make the right choices all the time. Sometimes you waver between liking and disliking. But by and large, you come away going, these are good folk, man. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, that is just a refreshing change of pace, especially in the, in the medium of television right now. So kudos to the Duffers for that, for sure. Well, speaking of the medium of television, did you did you see the, the numbers coming out of their debut for season two? Yeah, man. I think, did you and I not have a conversation about that? Um, you and I not have a conversation about that last week where I said something to you about it? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So just to run back through it, Nielsen released their numbers for the debut of season two. 15.8 million people and Bloody Disgusting did a comparison with The Walking Dead. So the highest rated episode of The Walking Dead in history was the season five premiere. Okay. It pulled in 17.29 million viewers. So their highest moment, Stranger Things on Netflix, almost got. And when um, The Walking Dead was in its second season, it was 
pulling in about 9 million viewers. Wow. I mean, the future is here. Streaming is on top of the world. Um, pretty incredible to think through that. that yeah. it's, it's eclipsing The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. It looks like if you read the numbers and assume that people who started watching it watched all the way through, by the end, um, you get to about 4.6 million people who watched it all the way through in the first three days. Okay. So you started off on that high number. Not everybody's going to be able to binge it sure. that way. But they said that something like 360,000 people watched it in the first three days. Is it first three days or, or just the first day in general? Sorry, yeah, in the first day. And then, you know, by the time they had the first three numbers, it was down to 4.6. But that's still 4.6 million people yeah. who watched it all the way through in three days. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before, um, uh, maybe on the wrestling podcast, I forget. But there's a thing called, I think it's uh, Plus Three, where you're talking about the day it airs and then the next three days due to DVR numbers. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at the first day numbers are 361,000 that watched the whole thing. And then Plus three goes to 4.6 million. That's an amazing jump. And, and a lot of TV shows nowadays aren't getting 4.6 million viewers a week. No, and it's only available on a paid-for streaming service. Absolutely. Uh, this is incredible stuff. And more power to them. I mean, like, they, they deserve it. They told incredible stories. Yeah. Likeable characters. Everything we've said. More power to them. Yeah. Um, I got an email today from Netflix saying that my uh, subscription price was going up a dollar from 9.99 to 10.99. I don't know if you got that or if any of our listeners got it, but mine, mine gave me that today. Um, if we get this kind of content from them, or the kind of content like uh, Mindhunter, I just I just finished Mindhunter and it was fantastic. Um, Ozark with Jason Bateman was really great this season. Like I'm I'm happy to pay eleven dollars for great content like this that keeps me away from paying what fifty to fifty five dollars a month for cable where I'm only watching three shows and wasting everything else. Yeah, and if if other production companies don't get on the CBS model where you develop a streaming service right alongside your traditional stuff, um, they're going to be left in the wake. Man. Yeah. This is this is coming down the pike really quick. Um, I'm just going to take one little bit of time to talk about the backlash to season two. Okay. I've already mentioned it. I've heard that it's too much like season one. <laughs> Yeah, you can take that and stick it in your pipe and smoke it. I'm not yeah. trying to pick a fight with our listeners. If you feel that way, more power to you. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But they gave us what we fell in love with. They gave us enough new to feel like the story's progressing. Just enjoy it, man. Well, and here's the thing, dude. If if they had turned the seat, the excuse me, if they had turned the series on its head, then these same people upside down, well played. Uh, then these same people would have been like, I can't believe they got away from everything that made us fall in love with the show to begin with. So some people are just going to complain because people want to complain. It's cool to get out front of the backlash wave, right? To be like the first hipster to say this sucks. Yeah. So, again, I don't want to pick a fight with any of our listeners, but I just don't have any resonance with that. I'm, I'm happy to be critical when I think it's warranted, but this is a show that built on what it did before, managed to find the things that we love. Yeah, they dialed up references to 80s stuff. Sure. That's not a problem. Um, they paid it off, and they gave us such a trajectory into the future. Good stuff, man. You don't have to figure out a reason to dislike it. Right. Just enjoy the goodness of it. Um, and even even narratively, one year after the previous year tends to look like this. Sure. New stuff's coming into your life, but a lot of what's going on with you is still playing out from the previous year. So it makes sense narratively as well. Let's yeah. just let's just give them a, a blue ribbon and stop looking for the chink in the armor. Well, I'd love to see what people uh, who think that it's too much like last season think of uh, shows. I mean, we talked about The Office before. I mean, The Office never really changed, right? Um, Friends never changed. Um, E. 
PR never changed. Uh, I get the sense that the Big Bang Theory kind of walked the same path. Sure. You know, throughout its duration. So, yeah, it, let's just be a little bit more charitable yeah. on this one. I mean, they've heard us be skating, so maybe maybe we're hypocrites. But on this one, I really feel like they, they really handled this masterfully. Yeah, completely agree. And it wasn't perfect. And we've made, like, I mean, we've made comments about the fact that it wasn't perfect. Um, but, yeah, man. This I, is I, heads and tails above what we tend to expect from even, again, the golden age of horror and the golden age of television. Sure. Like, this is among the very best of both worlds. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. The one the one critique that I really have for this is that it wasn't particularly scary. I didn't think the scary really came in until episodes eight and nine. Right. Um, my wife felt the same way, and she has her radar dialed up. But I read somewhere online, and I wish I had given the reference, uh, written the reference down. Someone online said it's clear that Steven Spielberg and Stephen King are the fathers of this series. Sure. And, and Stephen King was preeminent in season one. Steven Spielberg is preeminent in season two. So yeah. we have the cast of, or we have the, the, the sense of it in season one. And this year we get the sense of Goonies. Yeah. I'm good with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And if George Lucas can do the third season and we get a little space action, I'm fine with that too. I don't know if I, I've seen and, the prequels and, uh, to the Star Wars universe. And then maybe people won't complain that it was so much like season two. Yeah. We would, we would get real quick to appreciate the duffers. All right, man. Anything else you got left to say on this? Uh, no, man. I think that we pretty much exhausted uh, everything that we can in the time allotted for the and episode. We well into extra innings. Yeah, that's what I thought. Scale of one to ten, where would you rank this season? Eight and a half. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I don't think we saw something scary. Not particularly, no. There no. were a few. I mean, the the encounter in the hallway that ends up costing Bob his life. Sure. Pretty scary. Uh, even, I mean, my wife reacted to just the idea of like the Demogorgons are all showing up to like go after the kids in the hospital. Okay, a little yeah. tension there. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was afraid Hopper was going to get it when he and Jane were trying to close the portal. Yeah. I was like, man, if you take Hopper away from me now. That smoke monster just does not scare me at all. No. That's okay. Yeah. I'll show up to watch whatever they want to do with him. Absolutely. This season was more intense than scary, but I thought it was great, so I'm all for it. All right, man, how's DerekZoo.com doing? Uh, DerekZoo.com is doing great, man. Uh, we've got some new tour dates added to the Never Growing Up tour that'll be posted by the time you hear this episode. And uh, remember, for all of you that are listening in the Cookville, Tennessee area, I'm there on Friday, November the 17th, uh, 8 p.m. for uh, my for my show and uh, going away party. So come on out, uh, throw some shekels in a bucket, help me move to Branson, Missouri. Well, and you're not going away from social media. No, I'm not. Where can people find you there? Yeah, all over the place. Your permanent homes. Is uh, at Derek Zoo for everything. All right, man. And uh, you can find us at Scary Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And Jeff Wright, where can they find you? Uh, at Right Jeff, most places, if you're interested. We've got some pretty cool stuff coming down the pike on the podcast. Yeah, man. I'm really excited about this month. Uh, I think as far as, uh, I think we're hitting on all cylinders here lately. We haven't seen, sometimes we haven't seen some of the best movies, but uh, we've got some real fun stuff for you guys. And we're getting really close to 10,000 total downloads, which That's is a major mile mark marker for a podcast. Uh, we're going to do something special for that. We hadn't figured it out yet. We've kicked some ideas around. Maybe Mike Flanagan will drop back in oh, dude. by 10,000. Um, but <laughs> Watch when I move away. That'll be like, I'll be I'll be driving the U-Haul truck to Branson. And it'll be like, the only time I can do it is on November 27th. I'm like, Jeff, just take it. I don't care anymore. Just just put him on there. So. Yeah. Well, and, and also, uh, just a preemptive thing, uh, we are going through some growing pains, right? Uh, Jeff and I are, are normally in the same room at the same time discussing these movies. Uh, obviously, that's going to change with my move. And so we're going to try to have to figure out what we're going to do on that. So in the month of December, just bear with us because things are going to get crazy. Yeah, and we will figure it out. Absolutely. Well, Derek, uh, anything? 
anything we should be looking out for in the real world? Oh, man. Let's see. Uh, just the politicians. <laughs> That's about it. Just today. Swerve. Today was the election. So just watch out for politicians. That's it. Now, uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. For Jeff Wright, I'm Derek Zoo, reminding you, as always, to beware of uh, clowns in sewers, blind men with turkey basters, and white people with teacups. Bye-bye, man.